0: Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. Some of the key characters in Tanakh have two names. Some of them, like Moshe and like Yitro, even have seven names. But many of the key characters have two names. And these names give a lie to two different personalities, two different levels or layers of self, and they also would hint towards two different mountains. So we find Avram and Avraham. Avram is a mighty father. Avraham is a father to many nations. Sarai, my master, Sarah, the master of so much more than just me. We discussed Yaakov and Israel. We saw Naami try to change her name to Mara, the bitter one, instead of the pleasant one. Even Esther has two names, as the Megillah tells us Esther, Hihadasa. Esther is Hadassah. She goes from being the fragrant one, Hadassah, to being the hidden one, Esther. Noach also has two names, but interestingly enough, they're the same name. So when we meet Noach, the Torah tells us ele toldot Noach, Noach. These are the generations of Noach, Noach. Rabbi Nachman in lesson 66 tells us, Ela toldot Noach Noach. These are the generations of Noach Noach, quoting from the Zohar Noach La'ila, Noach Latata, the Noach above and the Noach below. A Noach in potential, a Noach actual. It would seem that there is a gap between who Noach is and who Noach could or will become. And this ambivalence about Noach is discussed in the Talmud, Sanhedrin 108, on the first side, where we find two different readings of the continuation of the introduction of Noach, where it says, Ish tzadik tamim haya bedorotav. Noach, Noach was a righteous, pure man in his generations. Says the Talmud, Rabbi Yochanan Amar, in his generations, he was righteous. But not if he were in another generation, he wouldn't have been considered to be so righteous. But Reish Lakish, Rabbi Yochanan's learning partner, says, in his generation, in his generation, all the more so, he would have been righteous in other generations. And a classic approach to differences of opinion like this is to say Elohim Chaim. Both of these are words of the living God. Both of them are accurately describing something about Noah. So who are these two Noachs? The moment of transition between them The transition between the first mountain, as it were, and the second mountain happens after the flood. When Noah and his family in the ark, with all the animals, finally lands on the mountains of Ararat and Noah removes the coverings of the ark and finally opens the window and looks out on a decimated world. And what got us here is that Noah and his family are alone in the world. They had been spared by God with a variety of given reasons. One, that he was a tzaddik, he was righteous. Another, that he found chain in God's eyes, that he didn't earn it, but God favored him anyway. But it's possible that Noah was never meant to be alone only with his family on the entire earth. We see this in a question that is asked, it is mentioned in Rashi. Why did God want Noah specifically to make an ark? Rashi says, There's plenty of ways for God to save why did he burden him with this building project? Rashi answers: so that the people of his generation would see him, osikba involved in this project, for a hundred and twenty years. and they would ask him, What is this? What are you doing? And he says to them, God is going to bring a flood upon the world. Perhaps they would repent. So Noah did. He built that ark. We can assume that it in fact took 120 years. And yet we see that no one repented. Only Noah and his family were on the ark. And you'd have to wonder, is this because people of his generation were just so stubborn that they had no interest in repenting? Could it be that there was something about the way Noah delivered this message that somehow made it difficult or impossible or undesirable? for the people of his generation to repent? We don't know. What we know is that after the flood, after the earth had dried enough, after the ark had found a place to land, after Noah removed the coverings, and after Noah peeked out and saw a decimated world, the Zohar tells us that Noah began to cry about the world. And he said, Rebonoshel Master of the world, you are called Rachum. You are called Compassionate One. You should have had compassion and mercy on your creatures. And God says, Raya Shatia, foolish shepherd. Now you say this? And not at the time when I told you gently, when I told you to make an ark, and I told you that I'm bringing a flood to the world, and that I'm going to destroy all flesh. And not only that, but I told you that I had seen you as righteous in this generation. So much, so many opportunities. I was inviting you to beg for mercy for the world. It didn't occur to you. You made the ark, just like I told you. And you were saved, but now look, the world is destroyed. And now you're opening your mouth to speak before me and to supplicate? At that moment, Noah turns to look at his life until now, and he sees that first mountain and what he thought was the task of the first mountain, which was to make an ark, to bring his family into it, and to survive. And perhaps he looks back on the choices that he's made, and maybe he even looks back on the ways that he regarded himself. And maybe he realizes that he bought into that understanding of him as only being the lower Noach, of those two spirits, of that Noach, Noach, the Noach below and the Noach above. Maybe he only believed the below one. And maybe he believed Rabbi Yochanan. And Rabbi Yochanan said, Yeah, Noach, he's pretty good. Amazing for his generation, but if he would have been in another generation compared to someone like Avraham, he would have been nothing. Maybe he didn't realize when he looked at himself that he also contained Noah Leila, this higher Noach, this amazing potential. And maybe at that moment, he realized that he could have listened to Rabbi Yochanan's partner, Reish Lakish, who said, Wow, if Noah could remain righteous even in that generation with no one else around, no Avraham, no Yitzchak, no Yaakov, no Moshe, no nobody, no one to join with, no one to support with, no one to have a chavruta with, and he was still able to maintain any level of righteousness, imagine what he could have done if he'd had support, if he'd had a team, if he'd had a friend. And now Noah realizes what he could have done maybe what he should have done, what he didn't do, and what he must do. And so says the Zohar, dovetailing ha-ha back into the Torah reading of Noach, he brought korbanot at that time, rather than wallow. He did what he could. He brought an offering to God. He did his tshuva now certainly better late than never. He began to do what he could, to make any effort that he could to tap into that higher noach. And this is often the way with second mountains that before the second mountain can begin, a person's life, chas has to come crashing down. A person sometimes has to reach that lowest level before they find in themselves the strength that they needed and that they now need and they can now use and they can now use to move forward. And of course, it's quite difficult. The remainder of Noah's life is not at all simple. The first thing he does when he gets off the boat is plant a vineyard and become drunk. He is forbidden directly from, God forbid, killing himself because one could see just how much pain a person might be in if they were to turn around and look back on an entire world that was waiting for them to speak up, to advocate, to try, to do work. But in that, the story takes on all its power. As he turns around and he realizes he did not know any better and it could not have been any other way, and now here he is, and now here we are, and now life can start. And at the very least, he can take his incredibly hard-earned, and hard-fought wisdom and he can transmit that to avraham his great 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 grandchild and tell him listen avraham there may be a time when you're tempted not to advocate for the people in your world don't fall for it do it even if they seem terrible to you and avraham took that wisdom, and when it came time to pray for Sodom, because God had said, I have found Sodom to be entirely wicked, Abraham would have remembered the lesson that Noah gave him and prayed for Sodom. And Abraham would have passed that down so that Moshe, at the key moment when he watched this nation that he had taken out of Egypt worshiping, a gold cow, he might also have been tempted to abandon them and to build a new world. He also would have remembered the words of Abraham that were given to him by Noah, and he also would have advocated. So in the end, Noah's story, it's a story of hope, but more accurately, it's a story of starting over. It's a story of perseverance. It's a story of just how low to the bottom of the second mountain a person might find themselves standing. And still yet, the call that issues to a person to say, yes, you're at the bottom, the very, 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 very bottom of the second mountain. Now start climbing.